Good day, everyone. Welcome to Learning Bible Truth. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D., here to take you on a tour of the Bible by reading entire books, not just one scripture of the Bible. And I will be sharing commentary with you while we read line upon line and precept upon precept of every scripture. Since you won't take the time to study and show yourself approved before God, I am bringing the scriptures to you. So get your Bibles, take out pen and paper, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's learn Bible truth. Welcome, saints, all you learning Bible truth listeners and learners. I hope today really and truly find you well. Today we are beginning a brand new series I will not say how long the series is is expected to last because truthfully, I don't know. What I do know is we will be touring 1 Samuel. It has 31 chapters and it was a very important time in Israel because it is the last of the judges. Now, I will be reading from the NIV. I am going to cover an hour worth of scriptures. So I don't know how many chapters I will be reading. I just know I will be reading for one hour. Now, the author of Samuel is uncertain. Don't let anyone deceive you here. We assume or the Jews uh, attribute Samuel to the prophet Samuel. It was written between 931 BC and 722 BC. Now, the key people in 1 Samuel is Samuel, Saul, which was the first king of Israel. We are going to talk about how and why uh, God chose a king for Israel. We will also be talking about King David, his reign as well. Now, the author of 1 Samuel is not named in this book, and I need to reiterate that. But it is likely that Samuel either wrote or supplied the information, okay, for at least chapter 1, verses 1 through 25, uh, which covers his life and ministry until his death. The authorship of the rest of 1 Samuel cannot certainly be determined, but some suppose that Abathar, the priest, wrote it. Now, I'm not going to get into this long, drawn-out lineage of who Abathar is, but because of the references to the city of Ziklag, it has belonged to the kings of Judah ever since. And other references... To Judah and Israel, we know that it was written after the division of the nation in 931 BC. Also, since there is no mention of the fall of Samaria in 722 BC, it should be dated before this event. The book of 1 Samuel covers a period of about 140 years, beginning with the birth of Samuel at about 1150 BC and ending with the death of Saul at about 1010 BC. Now Israel 
had been governed by judges whom God raised up at crucial times in the nation's history. However, the nation had degenerated both morally and politically. It had been under the merciless onslaught of the Philistines. The tabernacle at Shiloh had been desecrated and the priesthood was so corrupt and immoral. God had to desecrate it. Into this religious and political confusion stepped Samuel. Hallelujah. The miraculous son of Hannah. We are going to read about Hannah. Samuel, who was a prophet, had a very famous mother. She was a prayer warrior. We are going to learn how to pray continuously and vigorously taking Hannah's lead. Oh, I can't wait to get to these scriptures. Now, in a remarkable way, the renewal and joy that his birth brought to his mother prefigures the same for the nation. Now, I want you to go to chapter one of 1 Samuel. And remember, I am reading from the NIV. So if you have another version of the Bible, you may see a differences in words. But it doesn't matter. In the end, we will be in the same place. There was a certain man from Ramathaim. This is verse 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 1, guys. A Zephite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanai, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zeph, an Ephraimite. Verse 2. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other was Peniah. Now these words are challenging. Once we get past these words, we will be all right. Now, Elkanah had two wives. You will never find in the Bible where God required man to have two wives. He just didn't say anything when they married two women. It is against the law in America to have two husbands or two wives. Okay. But back then God never said anything about it. Um, let me pick up at verse two again. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Verse three, year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh were Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli. Now, Eli was the high priest at that time. His two sons were priests of the Lord. I want you to remember this now. His two sons, Eli's two sons, Eli was the high priest. Uh, his two sons were priests as well of the Lord. Verse 4. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand this because I, I want you to understand that when the translators translated this from Hebrew to English, 
they had to use the words that are available. Now, this scripture or this passage makes it sound like God closed her wound and wouldn't let Hannah have children. That is not what this means. It, it does mean that God didn't allow her to have children. It does mean that. Now, it kind of gave to Hannah a double portion. Now, he was treating her because he loved her so much as if she had a son who would have received a portion. So he gave her a double portion because if she was pregnant, even though he knew she wasn't, he was doing that to make her feel good. He gave her a double portion enough to eat for herself and for her unborn child. Verse 6. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb. That's why I said that before we got to this verse. It doesn't mean he closed it. It meant that he allowed her not to have children. Okay. Um, let me read that again. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb. Her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Her rival is Elkanah's other wife. Okay. Verse 7, this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Hannah was being tormented by her husband's other wife. Okay, because she had children, but Hannah did not. But her husband loved her. Now, it doesn't say that he loved Hannah more. And I don't want to add scripture that's not there, but it mentions how much he loved Hannah, but it doesn't mention that he, that he loved his other wife. He just gave her and, um, the writer says her children, even though they were his too, but he gave her and her children a portion, but he gave Hannah a double portion. And the Bible does document that he loved Hannah. Verse eight, her husband, Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Verse 9. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. Verse 10. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord weeping bitterly. Now Hannah has some famous prayers in this Bible. So I want you guys to hear Hannah's prayer to the Lord beginning at verse 11. And she made a vow, a vow to the Lord saying, Lord almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son. Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. Now, no razor will ever be used on his head is part of the Nazarite vow described in Numbers chapter 6 verse 1 through 8. It was normally a vow to separate someone to God for a specific period of time during which the hair would remain uncut. Okay, that is why she said that her son that she would be dedicating to the Lord was going to be for the Lord and the Lord only. 
And that is what she meant when she said that no razor will ever be used on his head. Verse 12. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli, the high priest, observed her mouth. Verse 13. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli didn't hear her. He didn't know she was praying. In other words, uh, Eli thought she was drunk. Verse 14. And said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Verse 15, not so, my Lord. Now, let me, this is Hannah talking to Eli. Let me address the word Lord. It has a lowercase l. Back then, the men of God who were in authority was referred to as Lord. We're not talking about the Lord God, the holy God of Israel. What we're talking about is someone in authority. And Eli was a high priest, so he was a person in authority. Let's continue verse 15. Hannah replied, I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. So they had beer back then. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Verse 16. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. Hannah wasn't wicked. Han Hannah was a holy woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Verse 17, Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. Verse 18, she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Verse 19, Early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanai made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. Remembered what? Remembered Hannah's prayer. Verse 20. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Verse 21, when her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow. Verse 22, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord and he will live there always. She was dedicating her son Samuel to the Lord forever. Now, after the boy is weaned, what Hannah was doing was weaning him off of her breast milk and introducing him to food. And she had to wean him off of her breast milk first. Okay. And it was about two or three years. The child was about two or three years old before she brought him up to Eli to be trained. Uh, verse 23. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his, his word. So the woman stayed at the home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Verse 24. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her. Young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. Verse 25. 
When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli. Verse 26. And she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live. I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. Verse 27. I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. Verse 28. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord there. Now we are entering chapter two. How are we doing? Okay, we 15 minutes in, 16 minutes now. Verse 1 of chapter 2. Then Hannah prayed and said, this is a famous prayer. Ladies, men, I want you to pay close attention to how you praise and worship God after he answers a prayer. Okay. Then Hannah prayed and said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. Hallelujah. The enemy that Hannah had that we read so far, and I can tell you I've already studied the scriptures and no one else was her enemy, was her husband's other wife. Okay, verse 2. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our Lord. Verse 3. Do not keep talking so proudly uh, or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows and by him deeds are weighted. Verse 4. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumble are armed with strength. Verse 5. Excuse me, guys. I keep uh, getting ready to cough and it's not coming out. Verse 5. Those who were full hire themselves out for food but those who were hungry are hungry no more she who was barren talking about herself has borne seven children but she who has who has had many sons pines away and her husband other wife we really don't hear too much about her the narrator or the writer of first and second samuel but first samuel Never talks about the other wife. Hannah is at the forefront. Okay, verse 6. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. Verse 7. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand verse 6 through 7. Because when she says the Lord sends poverty and wealth, he dealt harshly with the children of Israel. And you have to remember, they were not under grace. They were under mercy because God had chosen Israel, not because they were Jews, but because they worshiped the true and living God. And they would turn their backs on God and God would allow, he wouldn't send poverty. He would allow poverty to come because their wealth came through their crops he would dry up the land by refusing to allow the rain to come just to get their attention. He doesn't deal harshly with us today like that. When we come across some scriptures that applies to us today, I will bring it to your attention. Okay, verse 8. He raises the poor from the dust. Yes, he does. And lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princesses and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's, 
Hannah know. Yes, she does. On them he has set the world. Verse 9. He will guard the feet of his faithful, of his faithful servants. But the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. Hallelujah. Let me tell you something. We should never exact revenge because God says vengeance is mine. Let him do it. It always works out better when you let God handle your enemies. Okay. Um, the latter part of verse nine, it is not by strength that one prevails. Verse 10, those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The most high will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Right here, she is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Okay, now if you guys can remember, back in uh, Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when Jesus said, search the scriptures, for they speak of me. In them you think you have eternal life, but they tell you about me. This is one of the scriptures, one of many that Jesus was talking about. And I will bring it to your attention when we uh, cross some more of these scriptures that talk about that talks about the coming of the Messiah. Verse 10 again, those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The most high will thunder from heaven. This is talking about the return of Jesus. She prophesied this before Jesus came the first time. OK, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. Judgment Day is not here yet. Jesus, when he returns, Judgment Day is coming. His people won't experience it. Those who are in Christ, such as me and my brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called collectively the body of Christ. We won't experience that. All but those who turn their back on the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He will give strength to his king. His king is Jesus. And exalt the horn of his anointed talking about Jesus. Verse 11, then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy, the boy is Samuel, ministered before the Lord under Eli, the priest. The word ministered here means served. He served before the Lord under Eli, the priest. Verse 12, Eli's sons were scoundrels. Here we go. Remember, I told you Eli was the high priest. His two sons were the priest. But we're getting ready to talk about how corrupt they were. And they will be uh, the death of Eli. Okay. Eli's sons were scoundrels, meaning they were low. They were the lowest of the low, lowest human beings you could ever come across. They had no regard for the Lord. Verse 13. Now it was the practice of the priest that whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, the priest servant would come with a, th a three pronged fork in his hand while the meat was being boiled. Verse 14. And would plunge the fork into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. Whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shallow. Now, let me tell y'all something. Now, the priest demanding the meat before it was offered as a sacrifice was called robbing God. They put themselves before God. Yes, yes, they did. They put themselves before God. Verse 15. 
But even before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the person who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. Uh, he didn't want any meat soaked in water. Okay. Verse 16. If the person said to him, let the fat be burned first, because that was the sacrifice to God, the smoke going up to God, and then take whatever you want, the servant would answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. That's how crooked the priests were. Oh, but that's a horrible mistake. Horrible mistake. I want you to listen. Please pay close attention how God dealt harshly with men who were supposed to be representing him in the public's eye or to the people. Oh, that was a horrible mistake. And these were Eli's two sons. Eli, as nice as he was, Eli was so nice, but he let his, his two sons and their behavior be the death of him. Now, um, verse 17, this sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. They had no regards and no respect for the offering to the Lord. Verse 18, but Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Now uh, ephod was uh, a little sleeveless uh, robe that priests used to wear back then. Almost looked like some of them looked like an apron. Verse 19, each year his mother made him a little robe because he was growing and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Verse 20, Eli would bless Elkanah, Elkanah and his wife saying, may the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home. Verse 21, and the Lord was gracious to Hannah. Never mentions her husband. You, you, you notice that? Hannah is the focal point here. The Lord was gracious to Hannah. She gave birth to three other sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Verse 22. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Let me tell you something, how it applies to us today. Men who claims to be past, claim to be pastors, bishops, teachers, prophets, even though we don't have prophets like Samuel back then, we talk about men who prophesy the current scripture and teachers such as myself, when they misrepresent God, Oh, it's, it's a thing you can't recover from. It, it's not. It doesn't matter that Jesus came and we're under grace. When you misrepresent God, this still applies today. And I want you to, to understand and I want you to pay close attention and see how God dealt with these crooked priests. And Eli wasn't crooked. But because he did not remove his sons as priests, God had to deal with him too. And boy, is he going to deal with them harshly. Let me read verse 22 again. Now, Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance 
to the tent of meeting. They didn't care about the priestlyhood. Uh-uh. No, what they cared about was the power that came with it. That's all they were worried about. Uh, and the influence they had. Verse 23. So he said to them, this is Eli um, reproving his children, his two sons. So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. Wicked. Nothing good about what they were doing. Wicked. Okay. Verse 24. No, my sons. The report I hear spreading among the Lord's people is not good. Eli told them. Okay. He rebuked them. But wait. Listen. Verse 25. If one person sins against another. God may mediate, mediate for the offender. But if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for them? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke. For it was the Lord's will to put them to death. That's how serious God is about misrepresenting him. We hear about pastors dropping dead in a pulpit. You know good and well, if someone's going to drop dead, why on earth would, they, would God allow them to drop dead in the pulpit? Misrepresenting God. We hear about pastors and bishops, and uh, uh, especially one from Shreveport, Louisiana, was a, a pastor, caught the coronavirus, and died immediately. L let me tell you something. That's not God's will for his people today to die. There's something behind that death. Everybody who's representing themselves or presenting themselves as a representative of God today are not. I'm telling you, they are not. Jesus said a tree is known by its fruit. Now, we just read about the horrible things that Eli's two sons who were priests, what they were doing to Israel. They could care less about God's offering mm -mm, and were sleeping and God despises sexual immorality. They were sleeping with the women at the, at the door. Oh yeah, women that were coming to pray, they were sleeping with them, having sex with them. Verse 26, and the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. Verse 27, now a man of God. Now they don't name this prophet, but um, when they said man of God in the Old Testament, they were talking about prophets. Yes, they referred to prophets. They don't name him, but God definitely sent him to talk to Eli to tell him what was going to happen to him because of his two sons. Listen to this. Verse 27. Now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, this is what the Lord says. This was definitely a prophet because this is how the prophets represented God. This, thus said the Lord, or this is what the Lord says. In your version of the Bible, it may say, thus says the Lord. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your ancestors, ancestors' family, when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? Ancestors are referring to the Levitical priesthood, Levi. Okay, verse 28. I chose your ancestors out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priests. That's the Levitical priesthood, the priesthood of Levi. That's where Eli comes from and his two sons. Okay, uh, let me read 20, 28 again. I chose your ancestors out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priests, to go up to my altar, 
to burn incense and to wear an ephod, an ephod in my presence. They weren't even doing that. They weren't even putting on the robe, the sleeveless robe. They weren't even doing that. I also gave your ancestors' family all the food offerings presented by the Israelites. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Israel paid tithes to the Levites. Okay, that's where the tithe started from. Not really, but I don't want to get, get off into how Abraham paid tithes to uh, Melchizedek. There's a, a whole reason behind that. But tithing was never money. Oh, I just revealed something to you. The door opened right here. Tithing was never money. It was food to go in the Lord's house so that his, his, his priests could eat and so that the burnt offerings could be offered up to him from the meat, the fat on the meat. Okay, I also gave your ancestors, family, all the food offerings presented by the Israelites. The children of Israel paid the tithe to the Levites. Okay, verse 29. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel. Verse 30. Therefore the Lord. The God of Israel declares. I promise that members of your family. Would minister before me forever. But now. The Lord declares. Far be it from me. Right here. You know there's an old saying where it says. Well God doesn't change his mind. I am the Lord that God and I change not. Where well, he changed his mind here. He changed his mind here. And in case you missed it, let me read it again. Verse 30. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promised it was a promise from God that members of your family would minister before me forever, meaning that the priesthood of Levi would minister forever, would be his priest. Not now, not now. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be disdained. Verse 31. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your priestly house so that no one in it will reach old age. That's a promise the Lord made to Eli. Now, Eli was nice. He was listening. His sin was he didn't remove his sons from the priesthood. He rebuked them. Yes, he did. He scolded them. But he let them continue. And God is irate right now. So y'all want to talk about the anger of the Lord? You hearing about it right now. Verse 31. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your priestly house. So that no one in it will reach old age. They were all going to die young. Eli was already old up in age. But guess what? His son's going to die young. Verse 32. And you will see distress in my dwelling. Although good will be done to Israel, no one in your family line will ever reach old age. Anyone from the lineage of Eli, which comes from the tribe of Levite and the Levitical priesthood, God says will never, ever reach old age. You will all die in your prime. Verse 33. Every one of you that I do not cut off from serving at my altar, I will spare only to destroy your sight and sap your strength 
and all your descendants will die in the prime of their lives. My Lord, I don't want to anger God. I'll be on my face in a minute repenting. And let me tell you, I already told you guys, if you follow me on a regular basis, there are some friends that I've been friends with for 40 years because I am a woman of God, a minister of the gospel, have turned away from me just because they chose the world. I still love them. I could still be friends with them, but they chose to disassociate themselves with me because I'm a woman of God and I choose to follow the word, but I choose God. Let me tell you something. I, you, There's nobody on this planet. There's nothing that you can do or anyone else can do to make me turn my back on God. Mm -mm, it's not going to happen, Captain. Verse 34. And what happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will be a sign to you. They will both die on the same day. They were young boys, young, young priests. They weren't teenagers, but what I'm saying, they were young men, not young boys. And this prophet is talking directly to Eli and Eli listened. He didn't try to justify it. He didn't say, oh, I love my son. Uh -uh. He listened because he knew he was wrong. He should have removed his sons from the priesthood and the outcome would have been differently. Uh, and, and look, God said, both of your sons are going to die on the same day. Verse 35. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest. This is talking about the Messiah. Here we go again. When Jesus said, search the scriptures because the gospels had not been written yet. As a matter of fact, the gospels were written like one or 200 years after Jesus died. After, well, after the apostles. So he was talking about the Old Testament scriptures. Here we go right here. In uh, chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, verse 35, is the mentioning of the Messiah. The word Messiah is not mentioned, but who the Messiah is is mentioned. Listen, verse 35, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest. Remember, Jesus is our high priest today after the order of Melchizedek, meaning there will never be an ending to the priesthood of Jesus. He is our final priest. That's it. Who will do according to what is in my heart and mind, I will firmly establish his priestly house and they will minister before my anointed one always talking about Jesus because we don't bow down to man, but Jesus is Lord with a capital L. Okay. Verse 36. Then everyone left in your family line will come and bow down before him for a piece of silver and a loaf of bread. And plead, this everyone in Eli's family, okay, appoint me to some priestly office so I can have food to eat. Now, you had your chance. You had your chance. Now, we are entering chapter 3 of 1 Samuel. This is verse 1. The boy Samuel ministered, meaning served, before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There was not many visions. Because of the sin, the great sin of Eli and his sons. Because Eli bore the, the, the brunt of his son's sins because he was the high priest and had the authority to move them, remove them and he didn't. So God really wasn't talking to anyone and Eli was still being groomed to be the great prophet that he became. Okay. One night, verse two, one night Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak, that he could barely see Eli was going blind. Okay. 
was lying down in his usual place. Verse three, the lamp of the God, the, I'm sorry, the lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Verse four, then the Lord called Samuel. The Lord called Samuel here. This was God's first time ever speaking to Samuel. So he didn't know it was God talking to him. Okay. Samuel answered, here I am. Verse five. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Verse six. Again, the Lord called Samuel and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Verse seven. Now, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Okay. I just explained that to you. The word of the Lord had been, had not yet been revealed to him. Oh, but it's coming because God doing away with Eli and his sons. Verse eight, a third time the Lord called Samuel and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me because when God talked talk to those prophets, it was as if he was standing right there next to them. Um, verse eight again, I'm sorry. A third time the Lord called Samuel and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. Verse nine. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you say, speak Lord for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Verse 10, the Lord came and stood there calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak for your servant is listening. Verse 11. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears, hears about it tingle. Verse 12. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. Verse 13. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. I told you Eli's sin as nice as he was, was he failed to remove his sons from the priesthood. Verse 14. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned, atoned for by the sacrifice of offering, meaning there was nothing Eli could do to save his house. It was not going to be forgiven. There was no offering he could make to God and Eli never opposed it. He just accepted it. I can tell I wouldn't be dying for my children. Not like that. Against Satan. Yeah, but not against God. You don't misrepresent God and then think everything is supposed to be okay. No, uh, -uh you accept that punishment. Verse 15, Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision verse 16. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son, Samuel answered, here I am. Verse 17. What was it? He said to you, Eli asked, do not hide it from me. May God deal with you. Be it ever so severely. If you hide from me, anything he told you see Eli, he was such a nice old man, but I'm not going to question God's actions. 
And Samuel was such an innocent young boy, young man God was grooming to be the prophet of Israel. Verse 18, so Samuel told him, him who Eli, everything hiding, nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his sight. Eli didn't fight that. Eli said, God, God is God. And whatever he sees fit to do, he's going to do it. Let him do it. Verse 19, the Lord was with Samuel. Did you hear what I said? The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground, meaning whatever Samuel prophesied, God fulfilled. Oh, yes, his words didn't return to him void. Uh, verse 20, and all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. Verse 21, the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. He revealed himself to Samuel, not Eli, through his word. We are entering chapter four and I think this is going to be the last chapter we will read in episode one, beginning at verse one. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. Now, the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines or the Philistines. Either one is, is correct. Philistines or Philistines. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Ephek. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel. And as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. Verse three, when the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? God didn't bring defeat on them. He wasn't with them. Okay. So we got a bad habit of accusing God for doing a lot of stuff, but I want you to remember God didn't uh, bring defeat on them. He just wasn't with them. Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that he may make, may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. Now, for those of you who don't know what the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord is, the Ark is a gold chest. In it, it had the Mosaic laws, which was the basis of the covenant that God had with the children of Israel. The covenant, excuse me, was based on the laws he gave Moses for the children of Israel to follow. And they weren't following, following them anyway. It had two cherubims. One on each side. And cherubims were these beast like statues. With human faces. Okay. Would probably scare us. But that's what they had. But this wasn't God himself. It's just that the ark. Was a gold chest. With the mosaic laws inside. Okay. And those laws were the basis of the covenant that God made with Moses and the children of Israel. Now let's read verse four. So the people sent men to Shiloh and they brought back the ark of the covenant of the Lord almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim. They saying he was, but that was the law. <laughs> the laws were inside the chest. And since they had a cherubim on each end, the laws were in between the cherubim and Eli's two sons, Hophni, and Phinehas were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. <laughs> they were with the uh, covenant 
of God, okay, which was the written laws of Moses. Verse 5, when the ark of the Lord's covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. Verse 6, hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, what's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? When they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, verse 7, the Philistines were afraid. A God has come into the camp. They said, oh no, nothing like this has happened before. The Philistines were more afraid and had more respect for the God of Israel than the Israelites did. Isn't that something? Now, when they said a God has come into the camp, you have to remember that the Philistines were uh, polytheistic. Okay. They believed that there were several gods. So they referred to um, the Ark of the Covenant of, of, of the Lord as a God. And <laughs> look, people were, were so messed up back then and are even more messed up today. Verse eight, we're doomed. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? From the, look, from, from the hand of these mighty gods. They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Remember when God sent Moses to lead the children out of the hands of the Egyptians? Moses was also referred to as a type of deliverer. He delivered the children of Israel out of the hands of the Egyptians. And yes, God did strike them with all kinds of plagues, but they talking about a God. No, this is the God. The God of Israel is the God. Okay. Verse nine, be strong Philistines, be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. Verse 10. So the Philistines fought and the Israelites were defeated and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30, 30,000 foot soldiers. This is a total of 34,000. Remember uh, a few verses ago, they lost 4,000 at the hands of the Philistines. Verse 11, the ark of God was captured. The ark of God, which was the Mosaic laws, the basics of the covenant of God with the children of Israel. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas died. They died on the same day. Didn't God tell that prophet to tell Eli what was going to happen, that his two sons was going to die on the same day? It just came to pass. That was a prophet from God. Okay. Verse 12, that same day, a Benjamite ran from the battle line and went to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dust on his head. Verse 13, when he arrived, there was Eli sitting on his chair by the side of the road watching because his heart feared for the ark of God. He knew there was a war, but his fear was for the ark of God because they had picked it up and brought it over there where they were fighting. They should have left it where it was because the ark was just that a chest with a scroll with, with the um, mosaic laws written on it, but it wasn't God himself. Mm -mm, mm -mm. But um, Eli, you know, feared for the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Let me read 13 again. When he arrived, there was Eli sitting on his chair by the side of the road watching because his heart feared for the ark of God. When the man entered the town and told what had happened, the whole town sent, sent up a cry, a cry to the Lord. Okay. Verse 14, 
Eli heard the outcry and asked, what is the meaning of this uproar? The man hurried over to Eli, verse 15, who was 98 years old and whose eyes had failed so that he could not see. Eli was blind now, but he was 98 years old. Verse 16, he told Eli, I have just come from the battle line. I fled from it, from it this very day. Eli asked, what happened, my son? Verse 17, the man who brought the news replied, Israel fled before the Philistines and the army has suffered heavy losses. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God has been captured. Now, I want you to check out Eli's response. Verse 18, when he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backward off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken and he died for he was an old man and he was heavy. He had led Israel 40 years. Yes, he was the high priest of Israel for 40 years, but he fell backwards and just fell out when he heard that the ark of the covenant of the Lord had been captured. My Lord wasn't even concerned about his sons because God had already told him your two sons are going to die on the same day. And he also said that those who live long was going to lose their sight. So it, you know, it wasn't no surprise that Eli was blind because God said that was going to happen. Verse 19, his daughter-in-law was um, Hophni's wife. Okay, I think we'll get to it though. His daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, not Hophni, Phinehas, was pregnant and near the time of delivery. When she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went into labor and gave birth, but was overcome by her labor pains. Verse 20, as she was dying, the woman attending her, her said, don't despair. You have given birth to a son, but she did not respond or pay any attention. Verse 21, she named the boy Ichabod saying the glory has departed from Israel because that's what Ichabod means, means that God's glory has departed. Okay. Uh, verse 21 again, she named the boy Ichabod saying the glory has departed from Israel because of the capture of the ark of God and the deaths of her father-in-law and her husband. Mm, I, that had to be a sad time. I would have been fooled too. And she was pregnant too and gave birth and receiving that information. My Lord. Verse 22. She said the glory has departed from Israel. For the ark of God has been captured. My Lord, that is the end of chapter four and the end of episode one. So we learned that Hannah was a praying woman. She could not have a child until she prayed vigorously unto the Lord. She promised to give the Lord her firstborn son and turn him over completely to the Lord. And when he was born, she named him Samuel. Samuel became a mighty prophet in Israel. And I tell you, we are getting ready. See chapter five, six, seven, and eight, which is what we are going to cover next Saturday. And then nine, 10, 11, and 12 next Sunday. Uh, first Samuel is very intriguing. 
And these were actual events. And we learned that uh, misrepresenting God, what can happen to you? Okay. We have to be careful when we are called into the ministry. And right now I'm talking to God's ministers. If you are listening, we have to be careful when we are called into the ministry. You have to be ready for it. If you are not ready, don't, don't take a position. Don't take a position. Now I have an anger issue. God cleansed me from a lot of things, but I still got that flesh. I, I'm borderline. You know, I'm one of those who will knock your head off. Um, if the Lord don't, <laughs> don't hold my hands, <laughs> but I love everybody. There's not a person on this earth. I wouldn't do anything for, um, yesterday I was coming from, I forgot where I was coming from, but I saw this, um, uh, homeless man on the corner with a sign up, you know, we'll work. And, uh, I, I reached him some money out and I said, Hey, God bless you. And remember, Jesus loves you. In your darkest hour, you can call on him and he will answer. And he said, okay, you know, took the money and left. My heart was in the right place. Doesn't matter what he, do he does with the money. I know my heart was in the right place. Now, um, I want to talk about this election, the dark side of America, uh, before I go. We understand that um, Joe Biden was lawfully elected. There was no fraud. There's no proof of fraud. This was the most watched election in history. And because we have a narcissistic white supremacist in the White House, he doesn't want to leave office. He's yelling fraud with no evidence. And for those of you who don't know, at every poll in America, every voting poll, they had Republicans and Democrats making sure that the voting was accurate and that there was no fraud. There is no fraud. We are just dealing with a lunatic. I'm not just throwing, throwing those names out there. He is a lunatic. You look up the definition of a lunatic and a narcissist and you will find Donald Trump. Now, God removed Donald Trump. Okay. We are going to get into some of those scriptures in first Samuel when the first king that was elected was Saul. We are going to get into when God removes. Okay. Now he was lawfully removed and I am here to tell you if he doesn't leave office when he is supposed to, it's not going to turn out good for him because when God removes you, let me tell you, your arms are too short to box with God. You better remove yourself. He is a sore loser and a handful of those demonic Republicans that's in, in the white house with him, that's backing him. They're just demons. That's all. But when God removes you, you better remove yourself. He had an opportunity. The people voted him in office. He had an opportunity to do the right thing. He never did. He started breaking the law from day one, telling Comney, who was the head of the FBI, I want loyalty. That's not how the, the government works on loyalty. No, the government works off of laws and everybody associated with Donald Trump went to jail. They didn't go to jail because they didn't break the law. They went to jail because they did. Now, I'm asking all of you true Christians, those who are in Christ, to continue to pray that there is a peaceful transition of power. Joe Biden needs to go into the White House with his staff peacefully. And if Donald Trump doesn't leave, 
we have the Capitol Police who has an obligation to remove trespassers because when the power is transferred on January 20th at noon, that means Donald Trump will become a civilian. And if he do not leave or doesn't leave the White House, the Capitol Police has an obligation to remove him. I don't want that to happen. America is in its darkest hour. It is. America is in its darkest hour. Biden has to go in and deal with a pandemic that was never addressed. He has to go in with his plan and implement it. And I'm here to tell you, we are still in this pandemic. We have uh, spikes in almost every state. Hospitalization is increasing. So I'm telling you, my sisters, sisters and brothers, when you go out like I did today, please wear a face mask to protect others. Keep your distance between six and eight feet and then return home. If you don't have to be out there, don't go out there. Remember, you don't follow the lead of evil. You follow what is good. You suffer for what is good, but you should never suffer for what is evil. Now, until next week, my friends, may the God of Israel, the Lord God of our elder brother and Lord Jesus Christ, continue to bless you, continue to keep you. He is the rock that the builders rejected. He is still able to protect you. He is still able to give you peace. And he is still able to provide for you. So continue to keep your faith in Jesus. And I will see you next time. Peace out. All right. I hope you were enlightened by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this episode, please send your questions to trustgod55.cd at gmail.com. Or you can send me a direct message by clicking on the message button located on my podcast, Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, and Radio Public, and submit your remarks. You can also support my podcast financially by accessing all my podcasts and clicking on the support this podcast button. Whatever you choose to donate will be greatly appreciated. I am praying for God to give you a return on your seed. Praise God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, the Apostle Paul says, as it relates to sowing a seed, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Hallelujah. Now, God will give you a return on your seed as long as you sow your seed in good ground with a cheerful heart. The key is having a cheerful heart. Now, until next time, brothers and sisters, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by what we see. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D, rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. I thank you for tuning in and I hope to see you next time.